what I'm going to be speaking about today is actually about a culture of grace because I believe that it's the environment where the supernatural of God is able to come and be in our midst. And uh, I just love the story. Uh, Derek, I love your testimony. I think God wants to see more and more of that in our midst where we actually come together and we just have people have words of knowledge for each other and there's a sense of breaking things off each other's lives. When we ask for prayer, there's release for healing and different things in people's lives. And that's what we want to see more and more of in our midst. We want to see something of God presence here amongst us. Um, last weekend, for those of you who might not know, we had um, a wonderful teacher come called Michael Eaton, and he taught us on the Lord's Prayer. And um, he said, in that part where it says, let your kingdom come, uh, that's when we are inviting God to come and establish his ways, his power, and his will in our lives. We, we ask him, him to come and bring something of what it's like up in heaven down here on earth with us. Isn't that exciting? Where, where God is up in heaven, things are wonderful, things are perfect. And when we pray, let your kingdom come, we're saying, God, let something of what it is up there be here in our presence, in our midst, that we can taste and experience that God is good. Now, in about 2006, uh, some of you might remember, Ant brought a prophetic word to the church, and he, he said that there would be a rising tide of the Holy Spirit in this church and across this nation. And um, about four weeks ago, Chrissy and I were busy chatting about that, that word, and, um, and she said she felt like there was a rising tide of something else, um, too, a, a rising tide of grace. And I've really been pondering on this and thinking and praying, and everything I've been reading has just been adding to that thought. And um, God has begun to show me that in different ways, in various different ways, that in order for there to be a greater evidence of God's presence and signs and wonders and what he wants to do with us, then we need to become more and more a people of grace with a culture of grace in this church because this is the environment in which the Holy Spirit thrives. The Holy Spirit thrives where we, we relate to one another with graciousness and love and he just, he loves that and he, he blesses that with his presence when, he, when we are like that with each other. And we also had Greg Haslam last weekend. We had, uh, I'm actually amazed what wealth of wonderful teachers we had in one weekend. Greg from Westminster Chapel. And uh, he reminded us on the Saturday evening about those wonderful promises in Mark, Mark 16, at the end of the Gospel of Mark. And Jesus, these are Jesus' words. Jesus said, Go into all the world and preach the Gospel to all creation. And whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up snakes with their hands, they will drink deadly poison and it will not hurt them at all. And they will place all their hands on sick people, they will lay their hands on sick people and they will get well. You see, Jesus promised that wherever the gospel of grace is preached, it is confirmed with the evidence that God is at work by his Holy Spirit. 
wherever the gospel of grace is preached, we see people get saved, people are set free from demonic control, they begin to speak in new tongues, and people will be sustained and protected in dangerous situations, and the sick are healed. That's the evidence of the Spirit when the gospel of grace is preached. Then I'm, I'm just doing a bit of a recap because I think it's so important when, when words come into the life of the church that we don't just gloss over them and move on, that we actually begin to massage them into our lives through prayer, through going over them again and again. And um, as... as um, uh, oh, my goodness. As Greg said, he also gave us a prophetic word as well last Sunday, which he repeated again. And he prophesied that he saw a picture of a steam engine. And the steam engine was pulling along these carriages, and then it was directed off the main track into a siding where it went off on the side. And uh, it, stay, it seemed to stay there. And some of the people in the carriages, he said in this kind of picture he had, were getting very restless and frustrated that um, why were they sitting, with this train was meant to be on a journey, and why was it in the siding? Um, but the reason why it was put in the siding was because the maker of the steam engine was fixing things in the engine room. He was fixing the boiler and preparing the train for its next journey. And Greg felt that this was a picture for this Forest Town Church. Um, and it may feel sometimes like things are not moving on as fast as some of us would like, or maybe people feel frustrated with the season at this time. But it's a time where God is fixing and mending and healing and repairing people's hearts. God is restoring this church, and that's why he's parked it in a siding so he can tend to it lovingly. And, you know, I believe that God does that corporately with us all together, but he does that also individually. That's how he does it. He comes and tends your heart. He comes and heals your heart. He comes and restores brokenness in your life and in my life. And as he does that in our individual lives, together corporately we begin to experience this wonderful healing and restoration of God. And one of the things that I feel that God is doing in us is that, as I said earlier, he's wanting us, part of this healing, I believe, is that he's wanting to bring us to a place where he creates a culture in this church that's a culture of grace, where we walk by the Spirit and not by rules. You see, uh, the engine of a, a train is where the, all the... Um, firing up happens. It's where the train is energized and it's fed the coal to produce steam to get the train moving. See, I believe God wants our understanding and revelation of the gospel to be the thing that motivates and inspires and infuses everything about us as a people. Um, and he wants us to become a people who begin to truly live out something of heaven here on earth, something of God touching our lives. And I believe that the key part, that's the key part of what he's repairing in the engine room of this church. So what does this culture of grace look like, this thing that God is preparing and repairing? And I'm sorry, I'm bringing, I'm not, I'm not sorry, but I am bringing lots of prophetic words because these are things that God has been saying. But last Sunday, um, in the prayer meeting before church, um, we were just all praying, and God gave me this picture of people sitting on top of a white picket fence. 
and um, the fence ran through a field, and it was as though people wanted to stay on this fence, but they wanted one foot on one side and one foot on the other side. And then in my picture, I saw the sun rising over a hill, and slowly, one by one, people left the fence and walked into the field towards the warmth of the sun. And I've been thinking and praying about this vision, and I feel that what God is saying is that we've tried to have a foot in two camps, but that God is revealing his grace and love so that we will no longer straddle two kingdoms, two paradigms, but we'll begin to walk fully into the richness of his heavenly kingdom. And uh, Paul speaks about this in his letter to the Galatians. Um, And he tried to help this church understand that there are two ways that we can have a relationship with God. One way that is mediated through rules and laws, and the other that is a way by his spirit. And after visiting the Galatian church and preaching to them the gospel of Jesus, he has to write a letter to them addressing them about something that really concerned him. In chapter 3, he says, Who has bewitched you? What happened to you? I was just with you a minute ago, and you were fine. What's going on? Who has deceived you? Who has allowed you, you to completely alter your belief system? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now trying to become mature by trusting in your own efforts and strength? And then he diagnoses the problem. You're trying to practice two covenants. You're trying to live in two camps. And in Galatians 4, Paul distinguishes between the old covenant and the new covenant. And he does this in a very clever way. He compares them to the two offspring of Abraham. I don't know if you're familiar with the story of Abraham, but Abraham had a son by the slave woman, Hagar, and then he had the child from his wife, Sarah. And that was the child that was, he was promised to. And Hagar, the child that came from Hagar, Ishmael, was the son that, that came from his effort and his trying to make a plan for God's promises to be fulfilled. And um, in Genesis 4, verse 30, Paul quotes that story in Genesis. And he says, but what does the scripture say? It says, get rid of the slave woman and her son, For the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. In other words, the two covenants, that they cannot exist together in the same place. The slave and the free son, they cannot exist in the same place. In Genesis 5 verse 1 he says, It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Basically what Paul's saying is, all right, you have two choices. If you want to, you can live a life protecting your relationship with God with rules, but if you want to commit your life to preserving your relationship with rules, you'll find yourself living in the old covenant. In the old covenant, 
the nation of Israel was given the Mosaic law. And I don't know how many of you have been doing the, the Bible course. Andy Ollerton explained it so wonderfully. He said that some laws in the time of, in the Old Testament times that were given to Israel were for good government. Some were health and safety laws that they needed to live in those ancient times. Um, so they had to have clean animals and do things like that. And then some were moral guidelines, like the Ten Commandments. They were given to a nation at a particular time in history to help that nation keep away from falling away from God and from the pagan lives of the nations around them. But you see, there's a, there are two basic problems in a society that's governed by rules. And I want to just explain what that is. In, in Romans 7, verse 7 to 8, Paul explains, he says, What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law, for I would have not known what coveting really was if the law had said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting, for apart from the law, sin was dead. In other words, Paul was saying, I didn't know what it was to covet until the law said, don't covet. You know, it's very interesting. Michael explained this last week. He said, um, he said, you know, we could probably keep all the commandments except that last one. We could probably honor our father and mother and not commit adultery and not steal and not lie. We could do that. But that last covenant, you shall not covet your neighbor's possessions. I don't, that makes us realize, no, we can't keep the law. It is just very, very hard to keep your desires completely pure and holy. And so all of us, men and women, boys and girls, we all have sinful appetites and natural or sinful desires and natural appetites that get out of hand and become excessive and they can control us. And these desires that get out of control and become sinful are aroused by the law. And any kind of law arouses sinfulness in us. And one might think that the law actually controls sin, but it actually increases the desire for sin. That's what Paul's explaining in this chapter. And you only have to think of a, a toddler. You tell a toddler, don't stick your finger in the plug. Well, you've immediately created a desire to do exactly what they've just been prohibited from doing. That's how the law works. It makes us aware of the thing we can't do and then we want to do it. And Paul wrestles with this because he says the law in itself is not bad. The law is good. But all that the law does is it just shows me how inadequate I am and how unable I am to keep it. That's what the law does. It exposes our need for salvation outside ourselves. So the second problem with any society that's governed by rules is that if you break the rules then punishment is the only way to restore order and relationship in that society. So if a woman was caught in adultery, then the rule was that she should be stoned. There was a punishment for that. There was a saying in the Old Testament, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Basically, if you gouge someone's eye out, then your punishment was you get your eye gouged out. If you knocked someone's tooth out, then your tooth got knocked out. That was hard work. Whatever you did, you were punished in equal measure. That's how that society was perpetuated, through punishment. 
And this is how people in the Old Testament lived out their relationship with God, through fear and through punishment. But not in the New Covenant. It's no longer about living under rules because God says he's written his word right in our hearts by his Holy Spirit. And we know what the right thing is to do because the Holy Spirit tells us. We don't need rules to tell us, do not do that, because the Holy Spirit living in us tells us. You know, when you, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you know that it wouldn't be very, very good to go and steal a whole lot of things from your office at work. You know, the Holy Spirit just tells you, don't do that. The Holy Spirit tells you, actually, when you don't forgive someone, you begin to grieve the Holy Spirit. You know that the Holy Spirit is unpleased with that. The Holy Spirit begins to teach us what God's wonderful laws are. In Romans 8 verse 2, Paul says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. You see, we're no longer under the covenant where the law reveals our sinfulness because we've moved from a kingdom of sin and death and Satan. And that's why he says in verse 4, we've got to learn to walk by the Spirit. And I thought I might illustrate to you in in this way uh, with two puppets. (laughs) So... Two puppets representing two kingdoms. So this guy, well, I don't know if it's a guy, it's a funny thing. Before we save, this is me. Before I'm saved, the Bible says I am hidden in Adam, my old sinful nature, which is a kingdom of, of darkness. This is in this kingdom, this kingdom is ruled by laws and rules. This kingdom In this kingdom, the citizens of this kingdom are called sinners because, as we know, sin was an archery term. I know you've probably all heard this before, an archery term that if you missed the mark, it it meant that you sinned, you missed the mark. So people that live in a culture of rules are called sinners because we just keep missing the mark. We cannot keep up to this kingdom of the law. It just we whatever we try and do, all the law shows us is, ah, oh, you failed, you messed up, you can't do it. Anyone who even if we made our own rules and they weren't even God's rules, we'll mess up our own rules. That's how we are. That's how it is in that kingdom. And this kingdom is controlled by Satan. And it's also controlled by fear, because if you mess up, mess up in this kingdom and you mess up the rules, then you fear punishment, because that's the consequence of messing up the rules. This is called the kingdom of darkness. But when you come and you, you decide that you want to put your trust in Jesus, just wait a minute, okay? Just, hold it, don't drop it. Okay. (laughs) When we want to come into the kingdom of Jesus, what we're saying is, God, an event happens. Something happens. We get transported out from this kingdom of darkness. And the Bible says we are hidden in Christ. We are in a completely new kingdom. We are in Christ. We are hidden inside And some people think, am I going to lose my salvation? Am I going to go back to old pink, stinky, black, dark kingdom? 
No. Once you are in Christ, you are in Christ. That's what salvation means. You are hidden in Christ. And what does this kingdom look like? This kingdom is a kingdom that's not ruled by laws, not governed by a whole lot of principles. This kingdom is ruled by the Holy Spirit in our hearts. This is a kingdom where we learn to walk by the Spirit, and we trust God in what He speaks to us by faith. We believe in what He says, and we begin to live that out. The citizens of this kingdom are called sons and daughters of the Most High God. And you know what? If we should sin in this kingdom, because none of us are perfect yet, are we? If we should sin, in this kingdom we have a lawyer or an advocate called Jesus. And he goes before the Father and he says, you know what? You can't punish them because I've already paid the price. There's no punishment in this kingdom because Christ has paid the price. And we have an advocate in heaven who's defending our case. So this is also a kingdom where there's no condemnation. There's no punishment. Isn't that an amazing place to be? Would you want to go back and live in this kingdom when you've experienced that? Just amazing. This is called the kingdom of light and of grace. So... Once you put your faith in Jesus' death on the cross, an event happens. You've moved from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. This is what Paul means but when he says, why are you trying to live in two camps? Why are you trying to live in two camps? You are saved, you are forgiven, you're a child of God, yet you try to live by rules. You walk around feeling condemned all the time, and you live in fear instead of victory. How can this be? How can this be? How can we be in Christ and yet live like we are in Adam, like we are in the kingdom of darkness? We, we are in Christ, and yet we still think as if we are in Adam. And this is why there's a very key verse in Romans 6, verse 11, and Paul says this, Reckon yourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. See, I believe this is the key for stewarding this life of walking by the Spirit, this word reckon. And reckon means consider the evidence and make a judgment. God's verdict over every believer who trusts in Jesus is that we're dead to sin in Christ Jesus. It's a fact. It means you're no longer under the power of sin. You're no longer in this dark kingdom. You're no longer living with a fear of punishment, with a fear that you're going to go to hell, with fear that God's going to reject you because you are hidden in Christ. And you have to reckon that. You have to. You might say, I don't feel that, but it's a fact. You put your trust in facts and not in feelings. You are no longer controlled by sin. You have the Holy Spirit within you. That is the law that you are living under. You see, being unpunishable or not condemned is the result of walking by faith and grace in a relationship with the Holy Spirit. 
It's all about a heart-to-heart connection. It's about my union and my attention to my relationship with Christ. Because as we walk in the Spirit, the question I need to constantly ask myself is, how is my life affecting this relationship? Keeping the law of life means I begin to manage myself in order to preserve this relationship and protect my connection to his heart. It's not about protecting myself from a punisher when I break the rules. It's not about that. Because remember in Timothy, it says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and self-control. God has given us a spirit of self-control. That the Holy Spirit is going to teaches us to manage our lives, manage our thoughts, manage our feelings, so that they keep this relationship in a good place. It's not because we obey a whole lot of rules that we keep this relationship in a good place. No, it's because God has given His Spirit, and I can control myself to met, to allow this relationship to blossom in my life. In the sermon, I'm going to put you down, okay? Enough now. Okay. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus laid out some statements that looked an awful lot like a stricter version of the old rules. Remember, he said, if you, it was said, if you commit adultery, that was bad. But now I say to you, if you look at someone lustfully, that is, that is not okay. It was said, uh, if you, what, do not murder, that's right. But I say to you, don't even call your friend an idiot or a fool. That's how Jesus lifts the bar. So Jesus makes these rules and these commands even higher than what the Ten Commandments were. And so we can think, oh my goodness. But the fact is, the kind of behavior that Jesus was describing is impossible for a sinner It's impossible to do that when you're living in this kingdom. But Jesus wasn't giving these commands to people in this kingdom. He's giving those commands to people in this kingdom. People who are sons and daughters of a new covenant, who've been trusted with the responsibility to govern themselves, who have access to the Holy Spirit's power to do something that's supernatural. Those kinds of lifestyles are supernatural. And the behavior Jesus describes is evidence of a supernatural power to walk in righteousness that only sons and daughters of the new covenant can enjoy and experience. And you know, obviously there are great challenges to walking by the Spirit. But those aren't the same challenges that we face when we walk by in a culture of rules. These are the challenges of dying to ourselves, of exercising self-control so that we stay connected to the flow of God's grace that enables us to live lives free of sin. Do you understand the difference? It's not about us saying, oh, I really feel bad because I messed up and God's going to be so cross with me. We don't think like that in this kingdom. We say, God, I messed up. Thank you that I have forgiveness because of what Jesus has done for me. Thank you that there's no condemnation for those in Christ. Thank you that I'm a son and a daughter of the Most High God. 
when we mess up, we have an advocate in heaven. And we don't even try to live a perfect life because we've got a whole lot of tick lists of, I've got to be this, I've got to be this, to be the perfect mother, the perfect wife, the perfect husband. No, we don't live by that. We just live by the Holy Spirit in our heart. And he says, oh, give your husband a kiss. No, because that's really good for him. It'll encourage him. We don't have to have a rule to do that. We listen to the Holy Spirit about whatever we need to do. That's how we are guided. And you know, and when you want to not give a kiss, you want to give a little smack, then that's when, that's when the Holy Spirit also kicks in. And he says, but I've given you self-control. That's part of my Holy Spirit. And you don't do that. That's not nice. We don't not do things because the law says. We do it because the Holy Spirit in us teaches us the ways of God. It's a place of freedom, guys. We don't want this old kingdom anymore. We can't live with our feet in two camps, half with grace and half under rules for our relationships with God. And, uh, you know, I believe that the more we begin to live in this way, the more we'll begin to see evidence of God's kingdom in our midst. We'll begin to see his life in our relationships. Because you see, there's an amazing thing. God didn't just call us to have that kind of dynamic with him. He says, that's how I want you to be with each other. I don't want you to put rules on each other. That if you don't live like this, I'm not going to be your friend. If you, don't, if you offend me, I'm not forgiving you, and that's it. You can change, but that's it. You've offended me, and I'm writing you off. Does God treat us like that? No, God is not like that with us. If we want to see a supernatural life of the Spirit in our midst, if we want to enjoy God's presence, then we need to see God come and work in the engine room of our hearts. Take us out from having a foot in two kingdoms, Goodbye. We are living in the kingdom of Christ. We are moving off that fence to the warmth of the sun, which is a kingdom of love and grace. Because I want to say the truth is that whatever is in our hearts, that's the type of environment we create around us. You know, even I, I can sometimes say, I believe this, this is good, that I find myself living like that. And I have to say, no, change your head. You are, you're a son and a daughter of the king. You are not under condemnation. You start living differently. We pass on what we have. If all we know is fear and control, then that's what we'll keep seeing in our environment. Then we've, we know we've got to go back and address our core beliefs about sin, about ourselves, and about the work of the cross. I'm just going to end off with these last few questions because how do we know if we are in a culture of grace or a culture of rules? Well, what happens when someone breaks the rules? That's your barometer. When we respond with fear, when someone messes up, and we, when we find it hard to forgive someone who hurts us, we feel the need to punish them because they broke our rules, when someone repents and we still remind them of their failings, this is a culture of rules. And the scripture is clear. We've got two options. We can either choose to protect the rules and create a religious culture in this church where the Holy Spirit is quenched, or to protect our relationships and create a culture of love and forgiveness 
I know which one the Holy Spirit will bless. And it starts with me. And it starts with you. One at a time. Saying, I'm taking my foot out of that dark kingdom, that way of thinking. And I felt, as I was praying to end this time, I really feel like there's a call from God for us to repent. Do you know what repent means? It means change your mind. Change the way you think. I feel God's calling us to repent about the way we see ourselves. Stop seeing yourself as a sinner condemned. Start seeing yourself as a son and daughter of the Most High that has been given the wonderful Holy Spirit to live by Him. Repent of trying to live your life by fulfilling everyone's rules and start living by the Holy Spirit's prompting and listen to His voice and nurture that in your life. Yes, if you don't nurture that, it's going to be hard. Nurture the Holy Spirit. Do what you need to so you can walk by His Spirit. We are an unpunishable people. You are not going to be punished. You are not condemned. So let's do that for each other. Let's not punish each other when God doesn't punish us. Let's not hold out on each other and sulk and be mean to one another when God doesn't do that to us. He's not going to bring his spirit here if that's how we are with one another. He wants us to be a a place of grace, a place of his kingdom. And we first got to change our own identity. I asked Ant if, um, if I could preach again another time, maybe after the, I know we've got the family service, but maybe the following Sunday, because I feel like there's so much to unpack about what that culture looks like, how we relate to one another. So if, if it works, I know Ant said maybe I can do that the following Sunday. We just really want to talk about, because it's very practical, isn't it? It's a, a, a practical way of living in this kingdom. So can I, and can I ask, if you feel you want to repent, if you want to change your mind about the way you think about yourself, if you feel that's what you need to do, maybe you don't need to do that, then that's wonderful. But if you feel like, God, I, I labor under condemnation. I know, did, uh, Clive had to encourage me this morning. I was feeling like, and he said, you're not condemned. I said, I'm preaching that. So I said, I better <laughs> remember that. So we, we slip into it all the time. And, uh, but I want to encourage you this morning. If you want to say, I want to step from this kingdom into this kingdom, then I want to pray with you this morning. So I don't want to embarrass you, but if you want to say, God, I want to change how I see myself. I want to stop walking by your spirit. I want to understand what that means. Why don't you stand and I'll just pray for you. Is that okay, Ant? Okay, so you can stand if you want to. I'm standing. I'm already standing, but I'm standing for prayer because I need it myself. So, but no pressure. Thank you, Lord. Oh, Father, I just want to thank you that, um, that you love every single person here as your dear, dear children. Thank you that even for those of us here who maybe are still living in the, a kingdom of darkness and who, who can see something but are not quite in your kingdom yet, I just want to thank you for every person, Lord, because you love them and you will bring them into the fullness of the revelation of your love and your kingdom. And I, I pray, Father, for those who, who don't, who are in your kingdom, but live like they are not. For all of us, Lord, where we, 
live in fear. We respond to situations with fear when we can know that we can have faith in you. When we respond, Lord, with a feeling of condemnation, when we know that we are forgiven, when we know that we, don't have, we are not going to ever be punished, not on earth and not in heaven, not one day when we die. And Lord, I want to pray you would teach us how to walk by your Spirit, step by step. Thank you that you've given us self-control so we can start to make our lives um, just come in line with your Spirit, that we can walk in step with you. And Jesus, help us change our minds. Help us to change how we think about ourselves, that we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. I pray blessing on this church, Lord. I thank you that you've promised that you're going to make this a place where your presence comes with power. You're going to do great things in people's lives. Thank you for fixing us in the engine room of our hearts. Thank you for tending us so carefully and gently. You're never rough with us, Lord. You're just so gentle in how you heal our hearts. God, change us so we can be a place and a people where you can just come and present yourself and we can go out into the world and be like shining lights for those who do not know you. I pray blessing on this wonderful church in Jesus' name. Amen.